Welcome to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast with your hosts, Richard Hill and Matthew Darlitz. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. I'm Matthew Darlitz, Editor-in-Chief of the Science of Psychotherapy, and as always, here with Richard Hill. Yes, I am here, Matt, and lovely to see you. And it's a, for those of people in our end of the world and in Sydney, Sydney, we're, we're cooking. You uh, are. We, yes, we, we walk outside <laughs> with some vegetables around us and, uh, and, and we're, we're a steak. But, but uh, dearie me, there, there's just so many peculiar things going on around the place <laughs> in the world. But it's great to be here again and, and mm-hmm. talking and we're, we're shifting around. Now, just remember everybody, uh, all our podcasts also appear on our YouTube channel. So you can actually watch us uh, nod and say enthusiastic things. <laughs> so, uh, but also we break them down quite a bit. So you'll find mm-hmm. our full podcast, you'll find partial podcasts, you'll find our docos as we're releasing them. We'll, you'll find also a whole bunch of uh, really interesting shorter podcasts, uh, shorter aspects that are talking about things. It's just yep. a host of stuff there that are all free to access for you. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So please jump on and subscribe. Now, Richard, we're staying in Australia today. Um, yes, we're staying in uh, Australia, but we're wandering a slight with our profession, but not really. We're mm. opening our embrace and widening our embrace to mental health nursing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we're going to talk to uh, Claire Hudson-McCauley, and she's a psychotherapist, a registered nurse, a mental health nurse, alcohol and drug counsellor, and a family therapist. So she's got tons of experience. And uh, we wanted to talk to her today from that mental health nursing perspective. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, because Sue, my wife, she's uh, got mental health uh, nursing qualifications. And of course, in her work, even with massage therapy, these areas of points, these points of places where people are being cared for is often where they open up, is often where they mm. release and let through. So mental health nurses do an amazing job. Well, let's find out a little bit more. Claire, welcome to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. It's so great to meet you. That's a pleasure, Matthew. Thanks for inviting me. Yes, and uh, Richard Hill here, of course, uh, uh, and very excited. Now, Claire, I know uh, as we we're talking in some of our, our previous things, you're sort of thinking, what do you want to talk to me for? <laughs> and uh, uh, of course, we want to talk to everybody because everybody's got so many interesting things, but it is particularly interesting to me. Uh, the mental health nursing, because you're a nurse, as well as you've got your your you know work with psychotherapy as a psychotherapy uh, uh, expert and dealing with a number of things. We'll talk about trauma and stuff, but maybe we could just start with this this idea of you know what on earth is mental health nursing? Because uh, uh, we have a lot of people who may just think, what's you know maybe people are there saying what's a nurse nowadays? It's um, just Give us a bit of an insight into what it is like and what you need to study and what skills you need to have. Yeah, okay. So mental health nursing used to be called psychiatric nursing in the 1980s. Um, Mental health nursing used to be something that you learned in the institutions that existed back then, you know, places like Mont Park and whatever, they had them all over Australia. And so it was like an apprenticeship training, like the hospital trainings used to be for nurses generally. Now, from the 1980s onwards, all that moved into universities. So um, unfortunately, as that happened, gradually nursing training 
dropped the psychotherapy component. Originally in the 1980s, we were expected to be the psychotherapists. We ran the groups, the therapy groups back in the 70s and 80s. We managed the therapeutic communities that were being experimented with back then. We worked in drug and alcohol um, counselling roles. You know, we we were doing all of the, the doing that a lot of the other therapists of that era weren't doing. Um, and we got trained as psychotherapists, like some of us did family therapy training right back then, um, or we did other forms of therapy training. And we were seen as valuable therapists within the, 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 the multidisciplinary team. I think particularly since the late 90s, the universities have dropped all of that out of the training. So unfortunately now many people working as mental health nurses have had no or very minimal education in um, what actually mental health is as opposed to mental illness. Mm. And um, unfortunately, the biomedical model has become the predominant way with which we view things. Um, and as we know, um, there's I sort of have a feminist view on this that um, uh, a lot of these systems are really designed to oppress and control those less powerful in the world. And so um, often, for example, um, women are diagnosed as, you know, borderline personality disorder at a much higher rate than men are. And we view them, we, in the system, of course, take on what the culture is teaching us about women as problem behaviour and, and things like that. And so um, I recognised in um, probably about 2007 that nursing had become very de-skilled in the area of relationship, which used to be its primary, you know, phenomenology was our primary teaching about relationship back way back in the 80s with the works of Benner and Rubel and people like that. Um, and I realised that nurses had become de-skilled and the way that I realised that was that I had... Um, been out of uh, mental health for many years doing other things. And when I came back in, I noticed that um, whereas in the 80s people had been on maybe one or two, perhaps three different medications, the clients of the places where I worked, when I came back in and I worked in a private um, mental health facility, people would walk into that with bags full of medication. And it kind of really shocked me and I wondered if, we as nurses had become like pill pushers because no one seemed to be questioning this or wondering about this, and yet I was quite shocked by it at the time. Yes, and it's, it's really interesting. Matt, what, what, what well, are you I was going to say, reacting? do you think part of that shift um, has to do with, as we talk about the medical model, um, the, the dominance of big pharma, you know, wanting to, to push medication as opposed to, yeah, having well-trained nurses that can can do psychotherapy. Yeah, well, I, I, that's one of the reasons why um, I've developed this course and that has just started recently for specifically for nurses because it's actually legally in our scope of practice to be psychotherapists and mm. yet we've let that part of our role kind of diminish a bit or be eroded by those big pharma um, commercial interests. And it is quite... Um, I find it quite disturbing that the DSM-5, for example, I think um, one of the 
one of the um, many people that I've watched um, on, you know, listened to talk about the fact that, you know, 80% of those um, people who are involved in developing that last version of DSM had direct links with drug companies. And I, I wonder about why we as health, as nurses who are health professionals and also many of us do practice as psychotherapists in our own private practice and, you know, work as therapists, I wonder how we have become um, sort of complicit with this pharmacentricity that's that's uh, developed over time. Um, yes, it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting that because I know in, in in Australia we've got people all around the world, and we're all from Australia and this this thing. But I think we're 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 advanced and 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 not advanced in this at the same time. Because we moved into uh, uh, shifting nursing into a university degree, which um, now my wife, uh, Sue, who everybody in the audience will be familiar with, I talk about her all the time. But, you know, she started back in the, the 1970s too at Kids Hospital and um, doing doing all those mundane aspects of, of nursing, of care for mm-hmm. others. Uh, and then it sort of became this university-based uh, based learning, which she felt changed it. And, shifted the the nurse away from the sense that they were a humanistic uh, having a humanistic experience and having more of an academic experience is that a big shift or what's happened there yeah i mean i i would i would say that not only did it do that but because i mean empathy is something that you can learn at the bedside with a with a with a senior nurse beside you you know like i don't think i knew much about empathy when i was a 19 year old starting in nursing First, you know, I think we 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 can learn these things from observing other people, um, and so I did miss that. Um, and predominantly, the nursing um, experiential part is often done these days in nursing homes. And so, while that's really valuable and important to learn the basics of nursing care, it echoes what I think is a sort of federal government idea that has been there for the last few decades that they want to keep nurses as generalists and kind of dumb us down and they don't want to recognise us as having developed specialties. Like my daughter is a nurse and even though I tried to talk her out of it, <laughs> love her, she, um, she works as a very high level sort of, she works in haematology and the research on the, um, um, the, the way that the body's immune system now is being used to to treat untreatable cancers, you know, that um, CAR-T stuff. She's a sort of research lead in that area. And um, yet the the nursing board or whatever would not recognise her as a specialist in that area, even though um, when she talks about cells and things like that, it just, you know, blows my mind. I can't keep up with her. And the same with psychotherapy. Psychotherapy, as you know, is a lifelong devotion and passion. Many nurses have done two or three master's degrees in different forms of psychotherapy, but still the system as a whole, and certainly the federal government, um, likes to believe that a nurse is a nurse is a nurse. And that goes with this misogynistic, I think, devaluing of all the caring professions. Mm -hmm. Because even though there are so many men in nursing, it's still viewed as a largely female profession. And that very thing, Richard, that you're talking about, that sort of um, at, at learning learning to be relational and caring is actually what makes um, big policy drivers uh, devalue nursing. And I think it's time we change that. I think we should be loud and proud about phenomenology and the, and the primacy of caring um, because it is, I think, key to um, healing people. 
and the system that we were in now, I mean, the, the Royal Commission's, numerous Royal Commissions have shown that the system is broken and yet we just still keep putting Band-Aids on that system. Um, I'm actually an advocate for a holistic approach to treatment and um, for wide teams. So, for example, I believe that um, there is an opportunity to put um, music therapy, art therapy, um, not just group therapy. Nurses should be able to run groups again and um, and uh, that's part of what I'm setting up in my courses. But it, it's also about um, understanding that, you know, we might need an osteopath or a dietitian or, a you know, a, an exercise physiologist, you know, all the research coming out now about the effect of exercise on mood. Why aren't we as nurses, we're supposed to be looking at the whole human being, why aren't we including that more in our assessment and intake processes and and even as working as psychotherapists. I know I have that in my intake paperwork, but perhaps not every psychotherapist does, you know, because my I think my nursing training has been an advantage in that way mm. because mm. I can look at the whole person and see, well, if you're on the screens for 20 hours a day, no wonder you're a bit in um, dorsal vagal shutdown of some kind, you know. So, um, yeah. Yes, it's it. this is one of the great, I, I know Matt, you're champing, so you can jump in a sec, but... But one of the things, I mean, Matt and I have been talking about this the whole time. And interestingly, in our uh, recent book, we have a whole bunch of different areas. We talk about psychopathologies and genetics and uh, and stuff. And the point of being saying it's all one book. It's not 20 books that you can read, you can choose between them. And that 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 sort of funny aspect of um, uh, we, we uh, heightened the importance of specialists. And actually, my... I've been talking more as I as I wander around the world, sort of saying, no, actually, it's the generalist that actually needs more money and needs more respect. And certainly the specialists are terribly important, but the client, unfortunately, comes to you as a whole person and uh, they don't come to you just with the problem that you've studied. And this is tricky, though, because changing this mentality of the specialist is the heightened thing, and I think this does certainly comes down to privilege and it comes down to the to the the the, the male dominated ideas of the CEO is more important than the guy at the coffee. So all all these sorts of social things that have been embedding themselves for the last you know uh, long long period of time. Yeah. And yeah. the other thing that keeps that in place is the funding of our systems because, mm. Um, that, for example, if if I was an, an obstetrician and gynaecologist, I'd probably earn over a million and a half a year easily, depending on how and where I set up my practice, public and private. But a nurse doing the same role, delivering babies, would be paid about a hundred thousand. So there's there's some egregious differences in the way funding is set up that really does exemplify this misogyny that I'm talking about in the system. Um, and uh, and what's more, nurses, especially senior nurses, are often given the role of um, training doctors <laughs> who then right. go on to, you know, and, and, you know, I think money is how we, money is not everything and it's not why I work, but money also reflects how society values what we do and that's why I think it's an issue. Absolutely. It's about the yeah. money itself. It's about what it shows about our standing in the community. Yeah. I, there's certainly there's lots of different um, variables that we can point to. But I think especially when it comes to government policy um, with commercial, 
you know, backed by commercial interests. Um, and then that, you know, filters down to exactly what you're saying um, about the devaluing of nursing, for example. Um, so it sounds to me like there needs to, it's not going to come from top down, right? It needs to be a grassroots movement mm-hmm. um, to r- respond or react against this. And and you're doing a course um, that is part of this um, movement <laughs> to, to yeah. um, can, can you tell us a little bit about the course and, and what you're teaching in it? Yeah. Well, um, it's a dangerous course in that it presents new ideas. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it challenges us nurses to break out of the constraints in our thinking that we've adopted over time, over decades, you know, and um, and yet at the same time it's really um, vested in neuroscience, the, the way the neuroscience is developed in psychotherapy. So, of course, always starting with that safe, you know, deep listening, creating a safe space, um, all of those basic things, but also... In the course, in this level one course, we're trying to um, develop a, a real sense of self as therapist. So the the people doing the course will be learning more about their own, you know, what comes from their family of origin and how that shapes their work with people, and um, some little introductory skills as well. I call them little, but of course, to do these really well, it could take a lifetime of practice. But things like internal family systems and the polyvagal theory and um, single session family therapy, just some real and um, solution focused brief therapy, just some real, like a tasting plate, an introduction to different ways to work with the very, very complex people that we as nurses get to work with. We often get handed the most complex and difficult people to work with. So I think it's good for us to have a wide palette of skills there. And underpinning that, we're trying to, well, I'm trying to create a community of care, learning and practice. And um, so I envisage that this will be something that will have a level two, level three, and um, eventually uh, people will realise that to change the system, we need to form community, we need to unite. Nurses have been really good at supporting each other in some ways, and yet in other ways they've been notorious for sort of eating their young and I want to change that culture and that that uh, practice as best as I can just one nurse at a time that's all I can do yeah no that's the the education is always the the point of everything Mm. um the um I know there are arguments there's a number of people that you've uh, talked about in in relation to your interests that that you, you've followed through, particularly those looking at the neurobiological uh, functions, the uh, we certainly got obsessed uh, as we've Matt and I've been saying for ages. We get obsessed with the linear process, the cause and effect, uh, and lose track that we are a complex system, and we have to look at the uh, the, the various and many different things that occur, and things that pop up in the moment. I mean, this is the work I'm doing now in responsiveness, which is. Uh, uh, we're, we're trying to, to get people to understand that things can change in a moment and you need to be able to adapt your thinking. Uh, and so these sorts of things in the course, and we'll certainly send people to your website because we want them to look at this. If you've missed the start of this, I'm sure there'll be another one. Uh, 
that this sort of adaptability, is this something that the nurses are asked and expected to manage, whereas the the the, the, the hierarchy come in and just treat pinpoints of, you know, specific issues? Because that's what concerns me is the, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, uh, and then say to nurses, no, don't be adaptable, just do oh. what the course says. It's there are all sorts of push-pull forces going on in the system at the moment. While there's a general national recognition that we all need to be more trauma-informed in our services, and the Blue Knot Foundation is one of the textbooks for for my course because mm. I think they've done a fantastic job with their laying it out so clearly in such an evidence-based way of what works for complex trauma. And we know that most of the people in mental health institutions have complex trauma, you know, by far the majority have had, you know, experiences of complex trauma. So there's those forces saying, on the one hand, let's do this a bit better. And then on the other hand, um, there has been such a lot of pressure and such a lot of staff shortages through um, lockdowns and things like that, to the extent where some um, organisations or many organisations now are having to resource and recruit staff from Southeast Asia and places like that where even the cultures are a bit different. So whereas, for example, in my nursing training, we were taught that it was our role to advocate for clients and that means occasionally questioning doctors about what they're, you know, wanting to do and and things like that and working collaboratively with doctors. But in those Southeast Asian cultures, often it's not allowed for people to question and challenge Um, what they see as authority. So we're having to teach the nurses in this course how to be a bit more proactive as well. So it's, and then depending on their work setting, they'll either have more or less support for that, which is why this community of care, practice and learning I've described is so important. And I think supervision for nurses outside of their workplace is so important because some workplaces are fantastic and really supportive of change. But I have to say, I think the majority is still um, struggling with change and for various reasons. And it's not all the organisation's fault either, because if you think about what happens in the brain when we're under threat constantly, you know, we go into um, sympathetic activation and our frontal lobe shut down and we can't make good quality decisions. And if you think about the way the hospital systems nationally have been run over decades now, it's crisis management all the way. And so the people, the executives at the top, often, you know, for example, here in Victoria, money has been given to boost mental health services and then I hear from various sources that perhaps some of that money is being taken back now to help the the state budget. And, you know, think about what that does to service providers, the, the people at the top who are trying to implement change and do best practice and reduce seclusion and restraint and all those things, and yet they're in this sort of whirlpool of, um, thing. So I think the more we can gain um, public support for the changes that are necessary, the more that will feed into what politicians do in terms of supporting hospital structures. Mm. And, and what sort of, what, in terms of associations like nursing associations, what sort of clout do you have on that political front? Well, I'm chair of psychotherapy at the Australian College of Mental Health Nurses. And so that gives me some political clout. Um, after all, um, it, it's still hard for us to get, as nurses, though, I have to say, for example, when the Medicare review took place recently, it was hard for nurses to get heard above the voices of psychologists and people like that. Um, we had some people there 
trying to represent us, but because the other um, thing is that the government doesn't want to give nurses access to Medicare the way it does um, other professionals. Even if we've got a couple of master's degrees in psychotherapy or whatever, we can't access Medicare the way that other professionals do. Or if we can, we're paid at the very lowest rate, like $57 for a session compared to other, you know, it's sort of tokenistic. So um, we, we need to advocate for parity, um, not just treat us nicely. We need to mm-hmm. advocate for parity. And I think some of that has to come from our professional organisations. The Australian College of Nursing should be advocating more for nurses in that regard, I believe, than they than they do. Um, the Nursing Midwifery Board, the National Board, should be doing that more. I was, I think as nurses, unfortunately, we're a bit too nice. You know, we're a bit too uh, giving almost uh, there's a, almost a self-sacrificing mentality among us some, sometimes, and that doesn't do us any favours. Yeah, so, like, like most of us in the helping professions, we're, we're very much like that. It's our personality. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and we have we have this, I mean, because the, 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 the other difficulty with the, the mental health nurses and working with psychotherapy is that, of course, psychotherapists and counsellors are kept below that line by the bureaucratic frameworks, even though we're working very hard uh, to do so, to change that. And it is advocation. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, people also know my family is very involved in the, the area of advocating in domestic violence, which is uh, an incredibly important area of mental health as well as it is um, mm. personal personal safety. And it requires advocacy. But as we're seeing in uh, in what's going on with, uh, with a lot of... Uh, I suppose social care and social awareness, and uh, we've just had the the extraordinary um, couple of weeks uh, where we're looking at uh, uh, or with Pride and the uh, uh, sort of the, the LGBTQIA community, but really it's just oppressed communities uh, everywhere and disadvantaged communities everywhere. So if you're an advocate, this is this is a great time to step forward and. I think what I love about what you're saying is, no, you don't have to all go out and bash your head against a a brick wall on your own. It's forming communities. And how are some of these communities, um, how do people find these communities? What are some of the the thoughts for those nurses and and people and therapists sitting out there saying, I could have a voice. I've got a bit of time to say something. Well, I think it's hard for me to recommend any community without reference to Carl Jung's shadow. (laughs) Because as we know, every therapeutic community throughout history has a shadow. And the only way around that is for us to become more conscious of, especially as psychotherapists, and work with the shadow of any groups that we belong to. However well-meaning or intended, the shadow always emerges. So uh, that's one of the reasons why I'm starting my own community, because I look around, honestly, uh, yeah, I, I think that um, how do we avoid that? Well, we w- find organisations that seem to be more perhaps, I don't know what the right word is, perhaps more humble and less driven by seeking power. I think power is the opposite to good community. I think we need to learn how to heal divisiveness and do repairs within groups as well as 
you know, in our own lives. We need to, that's a skill that not just psychotherapists, but we all need in order to form community. I would refer people to a woman called Beth Tanner in the US that I've been following, and I'll send you the details about her later. She's trying to do exactly this in America with all different groups, build community, build connection, to weave um, weave us together as humanity because there have been so many forces in the world that uh, that promote um, divisiveness and othering. You know, there have been so many forces, including social media. And um, so I think where we as psychotherapists have a really fantastic and exciting opportunity is because we do know, generally speaking, how to repair ruptures, or at least we we think we know, <laughs> we hope we know. We have a go at it anyway. <laughs> we yeah. have a go at it. I think um, we've got a better chance of doing some healing in the world that's been so ripped apart by these, um, you know, social media and other things that have gone on. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we need to do this post-COVID. This is a gift to the world. We, we're not just doing this for ourselves. This is an intergenerational task that we need to address. So um, I am forming, it's it's called the Growing Heart Sanctuary, the community that I'm forming, and it's still in its beginning stages and anything could happen. <laughs> well, we'll, but, we'll certainly encourage people to, to come in and have a look and start talking. And I think what you've said there is 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 a very important point that uh, that it it's about trying to heal ruptures and of course um, for any of the psychotherapists out there you know rupture work is the most important thing it used to be a disaster but it's actually we're seeing it as as the insights into um, the differences that can be repaired uh, and so it's looking for those uh, that place where you can contribute and it build what I call creative constructionism as different from this um this single dominance. Yes. But but Matt, we you know, you've sort of been around in that area as well in some respects. Oh too. look certainly when we talk about rupture repair, we, we we have the the hugest opportunity right now across the globe um to repair such a huge a global rupture, don't we? And if we bring that back down to the individual, um I totally agree. This is uh this is an amazing opportunity. Um and so in particular, we're talking to to nurses nurses that are involved in the mental health care of their patients. Uh, what sort of final word of encouragement would you have um, for your colleagues? Okay, I would say be loud and proud as of your psychotherapy credentials. Do not hide your light under a bushel. Do not hide. Come out. We need you, and the world needs more therapists and therapy right now as never before. And so. Be be proud of who you are and claim your your with integrity. Claim your um, your role in society and lead the way, because there's a lot of people in darkness, and we need more people to lead the way out of that darkness. And as nurses, you have the capacity to do that. Yes, you've been studying for this role. Take on the role and pursue it. And it's uh, it is one of the things that. Uh, gets frustrated by agency domination, by industry domination, by uh, uh, by financing uh, domination. And if we just begin to go back to uh, what Matt was saying and what you've been saying, go back to the origins, um, which is us 
and um, and our uh, and our humanity. I think humanism has has been around a long time, but it certainly has been revived over the last forty or fifty years, mm. and we still need to fight for it, uh, or we need to be energetic for it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. And you know, start where we are now. Just start. Do something yeah. different. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Claire, it's been so wonderful meeting you and um, getting a little bit of insight into mental health nursing. And uh, we will point everybody uh, to the resources that you have um, so everybody check out the show notes and you'll be able to find the links there. Uh, but once again, thanks so much, Claire. Pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Isn't that great? I, I, a, I just love that Claire's talking the talk, but she's walking the walk. So she's yep. doing things, starting these courses, opening up these groups um, yeah. and, you know, connecting internationally. And I've uh, mm. got to applaud her for that. Absolutely wonderful to see. Yeah, fantastic. So if you want to find out more, uh, jump onto her website. It is The Growing Heart. That is the-growing-heart.com. Um, link in the show notes as as always. And so you can jump onto her website and all of the information will be there. Now, thank you for tuning in. And if you do enjoy what we're doing here at the Science of Psychotherapy, we would love for you to become part of the tribe over at the scienceofpsychotherapy.net. That's our academy site. And there, as a professional, you can do courses for CEU points, uh, or if you're just interested in the science of who we are, um, there is a stack of information there for you. You can um, subscribe and you have access to all of our archive of magazines, which we've been uh, pumping out since 2013. Uh, and uh, we've got a whole lot of other video content and other reading content there for you. Absolutely. And we're, for those CEU, and there's lots of CEU uh, uh, allocated points, you get a certificate, which you can send to your association. And we're finding increasingly all around the world that there, uh, we, people are coming back to us saying, yeah, no troubles. They, they really liked, uh, they really like that. And they've given us recognition of those points. So, mm -hmm. um, but you do have to check with your association, but you do get a certificate to go to them with. Fantastic. Well, thanks, Richard, and thanks, everybody out there for tuning into the Science of Psychotherapy podcast, and we'll catch you next time. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. For more great science, go to thescienceofpsychotherapy.com.